We're starting a new series this morning over the next eight weeks uh, leading up to uh, through the beginning of March. We're going to be going through uh, parts of the series of, or parts of the book of Joshua. And we're going to be taking a look at leaving a legacy. And what does that mean? And so I was thinking this morning, uh, well, it, it struck me this morning. Uh, I, I joke, we're, we're kind of in the middle of a baby boom uh, here at Mount Calvary. Again, uh, that happens on a cycle. Uh, <laughs> it, seems to, it seems to come. So I think I know of at least, uh, at least four. I think there may be four. I, I don't know. Would Leah Sintek needs help uh, making meals in the near, very near future uh, for, for some of these moms. But, but I, was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how fast... Uh, uh, time goes by, right? You know, you, you, you're, you're, you're holding the baby in the, ner- or in the hospital, and then the next thing you know, they're driving a car, right? I mean, I, I can remember, we've been in Pennsylvania for about eight years, uh, and I can remember a picture uh, of, uh, of Catherine and Andrew playing on the porch at our church in Mannheim that we were at uh, that brought us here. And, and I, 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 I can remember them being so small. Catherine was one and Andrew was three when we moved here. And um, it's just life goes by quick. And before you know it, right? Uh, so students, I know you guys are thinking like life goes by slow, right? I mean, if I, it just feels like, okay, when are we going to be done with school? When am I going to get to drive a car? When am I going to get a cell phone? Some of you have cell phones, I know. But, but my sons ask, ask us all the time, when am I going to get a cell phone? You know, it feels like time just moves so slow when you're young, uh, and I, I say enjoy it. Enjoy it because it moves by much faster than you can ever imagine. Um, you, you, when you're young, you want life to hurry up and happen. And when, you're, when old people like me tell you that it, it's going to pass uh, faster than you can imagine, you just kind of roll your eyes. I know, I know. Um, the reality is life goes by quick. And before you know it, students, you're going to move away. Uh, you're going to be getting married, right? You're going meet, to uh, meet a girl on a mission trip at 18 and, uh, and get married. Uh, before you know it, parents, the newborn of yours is going to be learning to drive and going off to college. And uh, grandparents, those grandbabies, those precious grandbabies that you love to, uh, love to hold, are, are, they're going to be busy with friends and, uh, and with sports. In life, in this life, uh, in, the life in, in light of eternity, this life is just a blink of an eye. It goes by so quick, so fast. Each moment and each day is precious. And so how do we, how do we make sure that we don't waste that precious gift of life? How do we make sure that, that, that we, we, we make and live to the fullest uh, this life that God has given us? What can we do to leave a legacy with our friends and coworkers, our children and grandchildren? And how can we leave a legacy of faith for everyone we touch and interact with? Because at the end of this life, right? Because at the end of this life, it won't matter the kind of car that we drove. It's not gonna matter the corporate title that you've achieved. It's not gonna matter how much money you have in the bank account or how many trips you've made to the beach. All that's gonna matter is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and who you've told others that you've told about him. So what kind of legacy are you leaving today? Are you making a different internal difference? And so as we start this, this series through uh, the book of Joshua over the next six weeks, eight weeks, we're gonna look, we're gonna, we want you asking yourself that question. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you making an eternal difference? Because God has put you where you are. He's put you where you live. He's given you the family that you have. He's put you where you work. He's put you in the school that you're in for a purpose and for a plan. He has a plan to use you and to make a difference. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into our, uh, Joshua chapter 1. To Heavenly Father, Lord God, you are good. 
God, I'm amazed that that you look upon us with grace and compassion and love enough to send your son uh, to die for us. But Lord, not only that, but Lord, you, you have plan and purpose for each of our lives. Lord, to impact people that, uh, that others of us will never have the chance to meet and nev- never have the chance to interact with. God, you, have a, you, you desire to use us, our weak and, and, and failure-prone people that we are. God, you are good, and you are amazing, and pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Uh, may it be powerful and effective uh, in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, so if you turn in your Bible or your smart device, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, But each week, we're going to look at a different aspect of leaving a legacy. What does it mean as we work through this book? Uh, And today, in Joshua chapter 1, we're going to look at what does it mean to lead well, having a legacy of leading well. What does that mean out of Joshua chapter 1? And moms and dads, this is for you, right? Elders and deacons, ministry leaders, this is for you. And students, this is for you, right? There is something, regardless of your age and where you're at in life, there are people that are watching you and you are able to lead others. You are leading others. You just may not know it. So let's look at the first, couple, first two verses of Joshua 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the, servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. All right, so here's the setting, right? Uh, so the, uh, Moses, the great leader of Israel, who's, who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, God used him to bring them out of Egypt, and uh, he's dead. And so Joshua is the new leader. He's been appointed. But what's not told in these two verses, right, when you get reading, the, reading before and what, what's happened in the history of Israel, is, is 40 years earlier, they had the opportunity to go into the promised land. Right, 40 years earlier, they had 12 spies. Moses selected one spy from each of the tribes of Israel, and he said, go into the land and check it out, spy it out, right? So he sent them into the land. He said, God said it's gonna be good. God said that this land is gonna be flowing with milk and honey. God said that this is the land that he had prepared for them, that he had given to their forefather, uh, to Abraham, who had traveled long ago. God said to Abraham, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And then when he gets there, God says, every place you step foot, as far as you can see, that is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. So 40 years earlier, they stand in the same spot that they stand right now for Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. And they, they've sent the spies into the land. The 12 spies come out. Right? They bring, they're bringing, uh, they found that the land is as good as God had promised. They find that, you know, they, they bring back a, a cluster of grapes that was so big that it took two men to, to carry on a pole to bring it out. They, they, they said the land is exactly like God had promised it was going to be. It was good. God was giving them and had planned to give them something great and amazing. And they said it is. But there was a problem. There were giants in the land. Right? I mean, basically, that's what they came out and said. They, the, the, the spies went in, and they saw these cities, and these cities were strong and fortified. These cities were, uh, were, were well defended, and they saw the people of the land, and they said, these, these, it's like Mount Calvary, okay? If you were normal, average uh, size guy like I am, height-wise at least, every man in Mount Calvary feels like a giant. You guys are tall, right? But that's what the land of Canaan was, right? That, that's, they, they went into the land, and they said, we feel like grasshoppers in there eyes because these, these, they're so strong. 
And so 10 of the spies convinced the Israelites. They said, hey, we can't go and take the land. They're too powerful. We can't do it. Caleb and Joshua pleaded before uh, the nation and said, we can. If our God has given it to us, we will be successful. We will be victorious. And yet the people said, we can't do it. They were right. On their own, they weren't able to do it. But so they went in, they, uh, so 40 years earlier, they had sat at the same spot and the spies had come out of the land. They said the land was exactly like God had promised and yet they would not go. And so the people, they turned and they grumbled and they complained, right? When things don't go well or things are scary, we tend to grumble and complain. And so the people, they grumbled and complained against Moses. And so God, they got to the point, they were about to stone Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And God got to the point and he said, I'm done with you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's almost what he, he and Moses are having this conversation. And basically God says, I'm done with them, Moses. They have not trusted me. I showed them 10 plagues, right? 10 things where I showed that I was more powerful than the, than the king of Egypt and all of his magicians right? More powerful than Pharaoh. I brought them across. I I opened up the sea and let them walk across on dry land. And then I swallowed up when Pharaoh followed with his army, I swallowed them up. I provided them food and water when there was nothing. And yet I can't take care of a few giants in the land. Now I'm not saying giants like 12 feet tall. Okay, please. (laughs) Seven, eight, you know, these are not giants like you would imagine in stories. And so God says, I'm done. I'm going to start over Moses. Moses pleads before God and and God relents. Uh, He pardons Israel. And yet the punishment is that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that none of that generation, none of the generation that had seen God do these amazing things, had seen God in his, his wonder and his glory, had seen his very presence among them, none of that generation would get to go into the land except for Joshua and Caleb. And so in verse one and two, the entire generation before has passed away. They've passed on. And so Moses, and, uh, Moses is the last one to die and Joshua stands ready. God is asking Joshua to go into the land. And so Moses or Joshua has taken his place. And so the first thing I want us to see, see, that's the background. First thing I want us to see in verses two through six is that to lead well, like leaving a legacy of leading well, to lead well, we have to willingly obey your great God. You have to willingly obey your great God. Look at with me in verse two through six. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, and you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot tread I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And from the wilderness in this, Leban, uh, in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the great sea towards this, or sorry, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land that I swore to their fathers to give them, to lead well, whether it be in your family or with your friends at work or even here at church, you must truly believe that God is God. You must truly believe that God is as great and as awesome and as powerful as as we we look in his word and we hear the stories because, because to lead well, your God has to be a big God. 
in these verses, I just want to look through real quick. How many times does God say I, okay? Right, we, we say I is a bad word when we talk about ourselves too much, right? But God can talk about himself because he's, he's, he's God, okay? He, he's worth it. In verse two, he says, I am giving you the land. In verse three, it says, uh, I have already given you the land, right? Uh, I spoke to Moses and I promised him. Verse, in verse five, as he said, no one will be able to stand with you because I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In verse six, he says, I, the, I'm giving you the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You know, as we think about uh, a new pastor, or as we think about being a husband or a father, uh, whether, it be, uh, whether we think about being just a, a good friend or uh, a coworker, or, you know, it's not about our abilities, right? And so Leah, I appreciated what you said about uh, as you were reading through scripture and as you were looking at the calling of David and it's not the outward appearance that God, that God looks at. And so it's not about abilities or leadership training. It's about God's abilities and the willingness to be obedient to him, right? The, to accomplish what God asks of you to do in your life. It's not about how much you know or what you, how you've been trained. It's not about your, your abilities. Uh, it's about God's abilities and God's power. Moms and dads, your, children, your children's view of God will be directly impacted by how big you view God to be. They come to church, they come to Sunday school, they come to Awana, and they learn about this great and powerful and amazing God. This God who created everything, this God who, uh, who, who brought the, the Israelites out of slavery, who, who, who defeated the most powerful king of the day in Pharaoh, the, the, this God who was able to shut the mouths of lions and who who's able to walk in the fiery furnace and protect three men from being burned to death. They learn about a great and awesome God when they come here. But when they go home, if they do not hear and see that you view God in the same way, their God will be small. Our children, our children and our grandchildren, the reality is how big they view God and how great they believe God to be is gonna be determined by how big and great we believe that God is. And when a great God asks us to do something, we obey. For many of us, God is a friend. He is. What a friend we have in Jesus. He is a friend. But we, we kind of stop there. He's someone that we go to when we need help. If all else has fell, fit, failed, we go to when we're discouraged or when we're low. But he's not the Alpha and the Omega. He's not the beginning and the end, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not our everything. Joshua is about to lead his people into the promised land, a land filled with giants, with strong and fortified cities. And God is calling Joshua to lead his people. And God is not basing the success that Joshua is going to have on Joshua's abilities. He's not basing the success that Joshua is going to have on, on, uh, on Joshua's training for Moses. God is basing the success that Joshua and the Israelites are going to have on who he is himself on God's character. The success is based on who God is, not on who Joshua is. And there's a sense in verse three, right? There's a sense in, uh, in verse three that God has already accomplished. He's already won. He says, I have given to it to you. It's a past tense, right? And so there's this idea uh, that, that God has already accomplished the task. Throughout New Testament, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this, there's this theological idea of already, but not yet. 
right? When God makes a promise, sometimes we have not fully received the promise today, but it's already been accomplished. Because God in his power, when he makes a promise, he is able to keep every single, every single promise that he makes. He's the only one. As a dad, I make promises to my kids and I fail them. I let them down. Because sometimes I make promises I don't have the power to keep. Sometimes the promises I make are, are derailed because of circumstances that are outside of my control. But God, when he makes a promise, there is nothing that is outside of his, his power or his control. He controls all circumstances. He controls, he, he has power over all things and he knows all things. And so there's this idea that while they have not yet received the land, God has already given it to them. They've already, they, he's already given the land and given them success. And students, moms, and dads, and grandparents, God is more than some passive, benevolent being who loves us. He does. He does love us. But he's more than some passive, benevolent being. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to make a difference in your friends' lives, your family's life, your coworkers, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, expect God to do great things because he is a great God. And all he asks us is to be willingly obedient. Believe that God is bigger than you can fathom. Tim Bigler, my, uh, the, the young man that, that shared the gospel with me when I was 17 years old, <clears throat> had very little background in church. And, and I was at, we were at a high school dance, uh, and he shared the gospel with me, and I accepted Christ. Um, Tim, in God's perfect plan, Tim didn't have a long life. The summer after we graduated, Tim was in a car accident and died. And, and we didn't understand it because here was a young man who at age 14, he got saved out of drugs and, uh, and, and a life of destruction. And, and, and he gave his life to the Lord. And, and at age 16, he was preaching in churches. And he, in, our, in our high school, he, our public high school, uh, he was sharing the gospel regularly with his classmates. And so we didn't understand it. But, but at his funeral, there were, there were over 750 uh, people at a funeral, our sanctuary set maybe 600, and there just wasn't enough space. People had spilled out. And over 20 people came to the Lord at his funeral. Over 20 people accepted Christ at his funeral because for Tim, he only lived 18 years, but he left a legacy that was greater than almost anybody else I've ever known because his God was big. His God was great, and he believed it. And because he was, he willingly obeyed in all things that he did. He loved people and he expected God to do great things. His faith and his passion were contagious because his God made a difference in his life. He made a difference in other people's lives. Is your God big enough that he makes a difference in your life? Is your God big enough that you will live in obedience? Because if he is, if he is big enough to make a difference in your life, where you follow and where you're obedient to the Lord, you will make a difference in other people's lives. He'll be big enough to use you. He'll be big enough to make a difference in your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives. Uh, there's a, um, years ago when I was still in Louisville and I was working for uh, the company I still work for, uh, one, of the, one of my employees, one of the, my team members, uh, he had a testimony, right? And so we, we talked about uh, things of Christ and, and one day he, he told me about how he became a Christian. He said, I didn't grow up going to church uh, nobody ever told me about God except for my grandmother. And my grandmother would sit me, I would go and visit my grandmother and she'd sit me on, my, on her lap and she'd read the Bible to me. And, 
and she would tell me about who God was and who Jesus was. He had no other influence in his life. Nobody else told him about who Jesus was. But he had a grandparent, a grandmother that loved him enough to, uh, to share with him. And it was made a great difference because her God was big enough to make a difference in her life. He was big enough to make a difference in his life. When they others see that God, our God is great and powerful, so great and powerful that we will willingly obey even when things are tough. Even when things are difficult and we want to give up, they will see a God that's worthy to be followed and a God that they can trust and to whom they can be obedient. So to lead well, you need to willingly obey your great God. To lead well, the second thing I want you to see is you need to abide in the word of God. Look at it with me in verse seven through nine. It says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do, all, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Twice in these verses, three times if you count verse six, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. In verse seven, he says, be strong and very courageous. But the strength and the courage to be obedient, to step out in faith, to expect God to do great things, to, to be willing to follow him and obey him, that strength and courage is not based on Joshua's inner strength right? It's not based on his determination. It's not based on his will of mind. It, it, it's not based, uh, th that strength and courage that Joshua is going to need as they face difficulty and trial and even failure uh, throughout this book of Joshua, uh, throughout as they go into the land. The strength and the courage that he's going to get, he's going to get it from the word of God. He's going to get it from, from abiding in the word. Verse 7 says, uh, don't turn from it. This, this, the law, right? When it says the law is speaking of the word, don't turn from it from the right or to the left. Verse 8, don't let it depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Careful to do all that is written in it. Students, you're going to find your strength uh, and your courage when you face temptation temptation to, to cheat on a test or to lie to your parents or temptation to explore uh, areas of physical nature that are reserved for marriage or, or temptations to be involved in, in drugs or alcohol or other things that you, you know that you shouldn't do. You're going to find the strength and the courage to face those struggles, those temptations through abiding in the word of God. It's not going to be how often your parents tell you, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this right? It's not, that's not going to give you this courage and the strength to face temptation and say, no, I'm going to follow God. No, I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to. We memorize Psalm 119, 11, uh, and we, uh, uh, it, because it's true, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? We, we read and study and memorize the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can use it in our lives to help us when we need strength and when we need courage. When we're weak and we don't think we can move on, it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit brings to our minds and our hearts and says, but remember what I've said. Remember the promises that I've made to you. Remember who I am. That's what God and the Holy Spirit do when they remind us. 
They use it, Holy Spirit uses the word to encourage us amidst trials. Parents and grandparents, as we face great trials and difficulties in our lives, as um, often out of our control, you'll be able to walk and lead your family in faith because of the word of God. Right? It's not, it's not the pastor that comes and gives you the five things. Hey, here's five steps to a better marriage. Right? That's not going to save your marriage. The word of God is going to save your marriage. Right? It's not, it's not a self-help book. It's going to be the word of God that gets us through the challenges. Elders and deacons, one of the greatest temptations, right? So here's the confession uh, and a challenge. One of the greatest temptations for leaders, especially pastors, is to be so busy that they don't have time for the word of God in their lives. And it's for you too, as elders and deacons, it's your challenge to say, I, there's so much to do. It's a great, it, it's a great uh, tactic of the enemy to say, hey, you have too many things to do today. You don't have time for the word of God. You gotta go and visit somebody. You gotta go and call. Uh, you gotta go and fix the heat, right? Because the heat goes out. Or, or you, you have to prepare to teach a lesson. And the, the, the temptation and the, the lie that the enemy says is, well, as you prepare to teach others, you'll be okay. Uh, th- that'll be enough for your own spirit and your own soul. And temptation, the challenge for elders and deacons, we have to abide in the word. And so my challenge for you is, is to abide in the word and challenge our next pastor as he comes to make sure and encourage him to make sure that they are abiding in the word because only that is gonna give them the faith and the joy and the courage and the strength to face the challenges that all churches face. Joshua can only be strong and courageous in the days ahead as he leads the people into Canaan if he abides in the word of God. God says, be strong and courageous. And then immediately after that, he tells him how, and he says, do not let this word depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. They're gonna face enemies stronger and bigger than they can imagine. They're gonna face enemies that are scary in cities that they look at and they say, how are we gonna do this? And sometimes as a church, that's where we are, right? We say, how are we gonna do this? We have to be strong and courageous and we have to start by abiding in the word of God. And so he says, before they ever step into the promised land in verse eight, God says, if you wanna be successful, Joshua, if you wanna be successful, he says, abide in my word, right? Do not let it depart from your mouth, meditate on it so that then you will make your ways prosperous. Then you will have success. John 15 is one of my favorite chapters, uh, verses four and five. It says, abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus, right? Uh, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. He abides in me and I in him and he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Moms and dads, you want your children to grow up to love the Lord and passionately pursue Jesus Christ. Read the word. You have to start there. Read the word. You want to be the best husband or wife possible? Read the word. I promise you that abiding in the word of God will be more attractive to your spouse than running 10 miles a day. I promise you that, that the reading the word of God and knowing that you love the Lord and passionately pursue him will be more attractive to your spouse than the nicest and most stylish clothes. 
pastor who's going to be most fruitful in his ministry as he abides in the word. Abiding in the word is not complicated, right? That's a big word. It means dwell, uh, means uh, live in it, right? And so the idea is that you are in the word to the point that when you have conversations, it just comes out, right? We struggle about how to have, tell people about Jesus, right? We struggle about how to, how to share our faith with others. But when you are abiding in the word and when you're reading it and you're, you're trying to understand it and some of it's hard, I get it. But, but when, you, when you just make a regular commitment, it comes out. It just flows out, right? If you're a sports fan, right? And there's a sports team, uh, the Eagles, did the Eagles win? Is that right? I, I, I was afraid I was gonna mess it up. If you're an Eagles fan, you probably talked about the Eagles this morning because you followed them, right? You, you've, you've tracked with them what, what happened and you're like, ah, wasn't that great? When you're a fan of the word of God, it just comes out. It's just, it's not hard. It's not complicated. You just have to read it. You have to set aside time pur purposefully and regularly to read it, not out of a desire to manipulate God into blessing us. Sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes we say, okay, I'm gonna read the word because if I don't read the word, God's not gonna bless my meeting later today. And we're trying to manipulate God, right? I'm gonna read the word so that I have a good doctor's report. You know, we, we do that sometimes in our, <clears throat> sometimes unintentionally. We're like, God, you're not gonna bless me if I don't do this. That's not why we read. That's not why we abide in the word. It's because there is no greater treasure. It's more valuable than silver or gold. There's no greater treasure. Read, abiding in the word means you not only read it, but you talk about it, you meditate on it. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. It brings you to worshiping a great God and brings you into confession for your sins. You wanna lead well. You wanna make a difference. You wanna leave a legacy. Abide in the word. Third point is to lead well, we have to call others to obedient faith. To lead well, we have to call others to obedient faith. Look at it with me in verse 10 and 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days, you are to cross this Jordan to go into it, to possess the land, which the Lord, your God is giving you to possess it. In these verses, Joshua is calling the people to get ready, to be obedient, to prepare, to step out in faith. In the verses that are following in the rest of the chapter, he goes to the two and a half tribes that have already received an inheritance, right? So there are two, two and a half tribes, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. While they were in the wilderness for their 40 years, uh, they had to fight many kings that lived in the land and they were, they were successful. They looked at the land and they said, well, this is pretty good. Can we have this? We don't want to wait. I mean, I'm summarizing, okay? Ray paraphrase here. But, but they, they, they went to Moses and they said, hey, do we have to wait? Can we have this? This is okay. And Moses, Moses said, that's fine, but you have to remember your commitment. Your commitment is you're gonna help your brothers, your tribe, your other tribes of the family of God, and you're gonna go into the land and help conquer it. And so in these verses that follow, Joshua is preparing them. He's asking them to obediently step out in faith. He's asking them to, uh, he's calling them to an obedient faith before God. Now, Israel is a nation and Joshua is their leader. And so it's Joshua's responsibility to call them, right? It's Joshua's responsibility to lead them and call them to faith. So how does this apply to us? Parents, let me talk to you for a minute. We're tasked with preparing our precious children to go out into the world. And in a world, they're going to face giants. 
They really are. The world that we live in is very complex and confusing, hostile to people that believe in Christ often, and we're preparing them. We're tasked with preparing our precious gifts of God to go out into the world. And we often think about setting them up for success. And so, so we push them, encourage them to do well in school, right? We have high expectations uh, for how, how are you going to, you know, are you studying, right? So when they come home from school, hey, do you have homework today? Have you done it, right? The common questions in our household that we ask almost every single day. Um, have you done your homework? Have you studied? Do you have a test? We want to prepare them for success, and we know that school is important, and so we set high expectations, you push them in sports because sports teaches them discipline and commitment and teamwork. And maybe if you're athletic enough, maybe it'll help pay for college, right? And so we push them. We say, hey, you need to do this. This is good. You need to do well. You need to work hard. You need to practice. Most nights we ask our kids, hey, do you do, have you done your homework? For sports, we chauffeur them all over God's wonderful creation. Night after night for practice, we, we, we drive hours to go see away games. We spend weekends Right? We spend weekends away so that they can play sports. But parents, the most important thing that we can do to set them up for success is not push and encourage a strong education, is not to set them up for success in sports. The most important thing that we can do in their lives is to give them Jesus. The most important thing that we can do for our children, for them to be successful in this life, is to give them Jesus. Because to be strong and courageous, they need to know the source of the strength and the courage. The most important thing we can do is call them to an obedient faith in Christ. And I know that many in this unit, I didn't grow up in church, but I know many, uh, many parents today grew up in a generation where church was forced upon you. You went to church every time the doors were open because that's what your parents did. And you went not always because you wanted to, but often because you were forced. And we've, we've, we, we've, we, we've come to the point where we say, well, we know that, that going to church and being involved in church does not define our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's much deeper than that, right? It's a personal relationship that we get as we walk with him through the word of God. And so we, we've made a commitment as parents that we don't want to be overbearing with our faith and we don't want to push upon them or force them. And so we, we want them to choose to follow Christ on their own and we don't want them to resent going to church because we know it's not all about that. And hear me, it's not. But I fear that we've swung the pendulum in the other direction almost too far, where we've made following Christ a casual thing. Where we say, you follow Christ when it's convenient, right? When there's not something else on the calendar, that's when we follow Christ. I fear that, that for our kids, we've made it too easy to choose other things over the Lord. It's a challenge. Where's that balance? I fear that we've made following Christ a thing of convenience rather than a radical call of submission that it is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He demands all that we are, not just when we have time on the side. You ask your kids if they've done their homework. When was the last time if you've asked them if they've read the Bible today? You, you, you encourage and challenge them, hey, you gotta go practice, right? Shoot the 20 jump shots. I don't know. I, athletics are not a thing in my family that we worry about. <laughs> uh, we say, hey, go and practice. Go and serve. 
parents, the greatest thing we can give our kids in the few years that we have them is not a good education or good athletic opportunities. The greatest thing we can give our kids is Jesus and calling them to an obedient faith in Christ. It was really neat this morning. Uh, so Ryan, you, I, God, God's good. I, I, think, I, I think God's great. Um, Ryan, several things from, from Sunday school when Ryan taught this morning to, uh, to his testimony that he shared, I was like, Ryan's right on point today. Because um, your parents weren't just Sunday morning Christians. It was defined their life, and you said how much that was important to you. And this morning, he read, uh, as we were going through the book of Acts, he looked back at Acts chapter 3, and in the days of the early church, um, Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray, and, and at the, at the, in, in Acts chapter 3, there was a beggar that was sitting at the beautiful gate, the gate called Beautiful, and he was sitting, and every day, he'd be taken there to beg. And so he was asking people for money. As Peter and John passed by, they saw him, and, and he asked them for money. And, and so Peter stops, and he says, hey, look at me. Right? He had to get his attention because he's really asking everybody that passes by and that was going to the temple for money. And so Peter says, look at me. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. And in the, in, the, in the verses following, he gets up and he jumps and he praises God and he, he runs leaping into the temple, praising God because God had healed him from being lame uh, for so many years. <clears throat> Jesus has put you where you live and where you go to school and where you work for a purpose and a plan. And his plan always includes you giving others Jesus. What legacy are you leaving? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you, I'm humbled that you, you loved us enough to come and die for us and amazed that you have a plan for us, a plan to use each and every one of us, regardless of who we are or where we come from. You have a plan for us to make a difference in other people's lives. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy your faithfulness towards us continually over and over. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would help us as parents to, to call our children to follow after you. Lord, that you would help us to have wisdom and discernment and knowing the balance between being overbearing but, but having a radical commitment to Christ. Lord, I pray that as grandparents that you help the grandparents in this room know that, that they still have a, an impact on their grandchildren's and their great-grandchildren's lives. Lord, I pray for these students that, that are in here today and those that are serving in our ministry, the children this morning. Lord, I pray that they would recognize whether they're here at Mount Calvary or they're out in the public school or they're homeschooled. God, you have given them a purpose where they're at to make a difference in other people's lives, to call their friends, to walk with them in obedient faith. Lord, I pray that you would just give them a passion for you to seek after you. Lord, I pray for our, our, our young couples or our single people today. Lord, I pray that, that you would help them to see that, that, Lord, they don't have to wait to leave a legacy until they have kids. But Lord, that even now, Lord, you wanna use them to make a difference in people's lives. God, I pray that you would help us this year to see that you've given us a purpose. Thank you. Thank you for being God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua is a book of new beginnings. And so maybe you're here today and you need a new beginning. 
Maybe uh, you're challenged and you need to start over in some area of your life. You need to make a new commitment uh, in some area of your life. Or, uh, or maybe you're here today and you're, you're hearing about Christ for the first time and you're interested, you have questions and you don't fully understand. Myself and one of the elders will be up here after we close here in just a second. And we'd love to pray with you and talk with you, answer any questions that you have. Joshua's a book of new beginnings. And if you need a new beginning, God is always ready to start over with you. Glad that you're here today and pray that you have a wonderful day and hope to see you back tonight. Uh, if, uh, if you're not involved in one of our ministries, we'd love to have you here in our sanctuary as we study through the book of James. Uh, so have a great day. God bless.